The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. I am Josh Norris here with Ian Harditz, Studio 7. Ian, it's like early morning. It's Wednesday? It's Wednesday. It is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. <laughs> um, because it's the morning recordings that we do for most of these podcasts, I've been curious because I'm just an odd person. What's the breakfast of choice for Ian Harditz? Uh, no breakfast or lunch. I'm a dinner only guy. So coffee. Okay. <laughs> Again, I continue to learn more and more things about you. You only eat one meal a day. Yeah, I found out what intermittent fasting was like a year ago, and I was like, oh, I think I've been doing this for about 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> so you created it. You invented it. But one meal, I mean, is it just like all-you-can-eat buffets every night? Like, do you just is that is that your dining of choice? I've been getting better about not uh, ordering in every single night, but before, I kind of... By eating poorly most of the time, I was like, well, if I'm only doing it once a day, it can't be too bad. Like, I thought I was picky with what I eat and when I eat, because I'm very much an early lunch person, but one meal is taking it to the next level. Like, I salute you. Mental toughness, man. Uh, Okay, (laughs) this is an absolutely loaded podcast. That's why I wasted time at the beginning of the episode. Um, We'll hit on Daniel Jones news to start, then preview Thursday night football between between the Titans and the Jaguars. We'll also hit on... Ian's injury dashboard, which is up on Roto World shortly, if not right now. It's loaded with all the important injuries that you need to know heading into your lineups, heading into your weekend. And then we'll add Nick Minzio later in the show with his notable starts and sits. Off the wall, some might say. Uh, Let's, again, though, start with the news that happened after we recorded our Monday episode. And that is that the New York Giants are moving away from Eli Manning, finally, and moving towards Daniel Jones. Um... You know, we often get asked, like, what is the trickle down here between a quarterback change? And it should be drastic, but I don't think we are really altering our stance on any of these players in terms of Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley. Not not greatly. I do think it is going to help the whole offense, though, for two main reasons. One, mobility. Daniel Jones averaged about 36 rushing yards per game at Duke. He's an athletic guy, something like a 52nd, 55th spark athlete. I mean, he can move around way more than Eli. I mean, that, at least that's clear. It couldn't have been worse than Eli exactly. in terms of mobility. Exactly. And the second thing is he is at least willing to throw the ball deep downfield. He was very accurate doing so in the preseason. Not saying that's going to necessarily continue in a regular season, but just having a guy back there that's willing to throw the ball downfield is going to help those underneath areas for Saquon, for Evan Ingram. I don't know that any of these receivers uh, for now are going to be much because right. Sterling Shepard, Cody Lattimore in the concussion protocol, Darius Slayton dealing with a hammy, Golden Tate still suspended. 
So it's looking like Benny Fowler, TJ Jones, who did have a pretty good uh, connection with Jones in the uh, preseason, are going to be the guys, but I wouldn't expect much consistency there. We've seen Evan Ingram already have 22 targets in two games. We've seen Saquon Barkley do Saquon Barkley things in terms of real off big plays. I've been surprised at how good this offensive line has been in terms of creating run-blocking alleys and lanes for him. I think he leads the NFL in four and a half yards before contact, averaging per run. Now, some of that is Saquon making people miss at line of scrimmage, so on and so forth. But at least they've improved that offensive line. I will say, you know, in previous years, we've seen rookie quarterbacks come in and alter people's seasons, fantasy seasons completely. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson were league winners, putting people in playoff pictures. While Daniel Jones is athletic, while he is mobile and more mobile than Eli, we certainly don't expect those types of numbers for him. We just expect a more consistent, more efficient offense with everyone else. Right. I'm not expecting uh, Daniel Jones to be an option. And, you know, most fantasy leagues are only starting one quarterback. But he can give us something. We'll see. I mean, for Saquon last season to work as the RB1 in pretty much, you know, worst situation imaginable, and for that to be better, I mean, like you said, man, the O-line's already playing a little better. And, I mean, Bruce Arian said it this week, uh, just talking about, uh, you know, preparing for Saquon Barkley. And he was like, look, Christian McCaffrey is great, but Saquon's on another planet. And, really, he is the best player in the league with the ball in his hands more than anything I'm just excited and it's they're facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Daniel Jones's first start and Todd Bowles has that Bucks defense playing quite well better than they have for quite some time um, it's just been an interesting road that we've gone down this entire offseason with the Eli Manning and then rookie quarterback now Daniel Jones scenario we've had Dave Gettleman coming out after the draft saying that you know Eli might be the starter for three years then Pat Shermer basically saying the exact same thing after the draft then little holes and crevices were created during <laughs> training camp where he's basically saying, okay, we'll get Daniel Jones to prepare. And while we all believe that Daniel Jones is going to be better, hopefully, than Eli Manning as soon as he touched the preseason field, this is still a bit early. I'm excited. I'm sure you are. I'm sure Giants fans are as well. All right, let's hit on the Thursday night performance this week. That is the Tennessee Titans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, not overly exciting, not overly <laughs> must-see television. Uh, let's start on the Jaguar side. The most important story for them is that Jalen Ramsey has requested a trade. And it certainly sounds like the Jaguars are going to grant that trade request. And Ian Rappaport early this morning uh, mentioned and tweeted that he expects Friday to be the deal or the day the deal gets done at the likeliest. So that means that Jalen Ramsey might not even play in this contest. It does. I think he will be out there. That's what it sounded like. But either way, I don't. Even if Ramsey's not out there, it's tough to find any you know relevant fantasy pass catchers in this Titans offense other than Delaney Walker. I'm not standing on talented. AJ Brown week one looked amazing. Corey Davis is much better than he's shown so far. It's just a matter of target volume. I mean, yeah. only Delaney Walker has double-digit targets in this offense this season. As long as Mariota continues to throw it to his running backs and tight ends as much as the wide receivers, there's not going to be much fantasy value here. I've been surprisingly impressed with the Titans, both defensively and offensively. It seems like Arthur Smith understood how they won last year, and that was get the ball to Derrick Henry in almost every single situation. They're getting him more involved in the passing game, and we've seen screens and swing passes more often this year than we saw last year, and they're being effective. Um, You mentioned it. A.J. Brown, great rookie debut. Um, Delaney Walker's been fantastic through two games, which has kept Adam Humphreys on the bench. Corey Davis hasn't shown up yet. It all comes down to, though, Marcus Mariota. And if he can step up, and obviously in week one, they completely annihilated the Cleveland Browns. This past weekend against the Indianapolis Colts, he had two separate occasions with four minutes left and one minute left to 
orchestrate and construct game-winning drives. He just can't do it. And we've gotten to the point now where we firmly believe that this is just Marcus Mariota. And again, I think this is maybe his most talented team he's been around from an offensive line and defense standpoint. Easily. But he's still not taking that next step. And this is coming from someone who loved Marcus Mariota a few years ago. Yeah, and you know, this matchup against the Jaguars secondary really isn't a great spot for him to take that step forward. They only allowed 100 and I believe it was... 37 yards passing to a fully healthy Houston Texans offense last week. I mean, that's impressive. And you said this Titans defense, Malcolm Butler has played so much better in two weeks than he did last year. I mean, he was one of the biggest liabilities in the league at cornerback last season. They've shown so much faith in his improvement that Dory Jackson has been asked to shadow T.Y. Houghton or OBJ. Both those Colts and Browns offenses, I mean, they, they scored 32 combined points and I've only thrown for 365 yards against this Titans secondary. Yeah, I mean, Marcus just doesn't look comfortable. Like, even in that moment where he had the drive to to win the game with one minute left, spiking the ball in third and two, just give yourself one shot at fourth and two. It ended the game. Uh, On the Jaguar side, quickly, offensively, Gardner Minshew, Minshew Mania, came back to earth last weekend. (laughs) He looked completely rattled in the first quarter, held the ball way too long. Uh, I think he progressed and got a little more comfortable as the game went along. But more importantly than anything, they're getting Leonard Fournette as a true feature back, a true bell cow, and he's running top five routes among all running backs in the NFL, I still think he's an above average talent. I don't think he's a great talent. And also negative game script will absolutely hinder him in terms of his ceiling and fantasy points. Yes, but as long as he stays on the field as much as he is right now, 92% snap rate. Yeah. I mean, he's going to get touchdowns eventually because he's just the guy they're always giving the ball to. The one notable thing about Minshew, and we've talked about this with air raid quarterbacks in general, we've seen this uh, common, and unless OBJ is your receiver like Baker, they're going to spread the ball. They're going to throw it to who's open. And we've seen that from Minshew through two weeks. I mean, his target distribution has been DJ Chark, 11 targets. D.D. Westbrook, 11 targets. Fournette, 11 targets. Chris Conley, 10 targets. I mean, D.J. Chark, I think, has clearly emerged as number one in Jacksonville. He's one of, I think, only 10 receivers. That's average over three yards per out run. Mm-hmm. Guy's killing it. But I don't know that we can really trust any of these pass catchers consistently, especially not D.D. Westbrook. If both teams can shut down the run, the opposing team's running game, then it's going to come down to which quarterback can, can make the throw, like can make that play. Yep. And we know Derrick Henry is obviously – performed quite well against the Jaguars, especially last <laughs> season. All right, let's go now to your injury dashboard, which you can all find on Rotoworld. Again, it's a fantastic resource for all the injuries that are most important and impacting your lineup. Uh, we opened with a quarterback change. Let's hit on a number of other quarterback <sighs> changes now. Uh, Drew Brees is out at least six weeks after undergoing thumb surgery for a ligament uh, tear, I believe that's there. The New Orleans Saints go to Seattle to play in Seattle against the Seahawks this week. It certainly looks like it's Teddy Bridgewater with maybe more Taysom Hill sprinkled in. What does this do for the Saints? Yeah, I mean, Breeze, six weeks, six weeks with that torn thumb ligament. We saw him could even pick up the ball last week. I mean, such a shame. This 04 quarterback class in general just getting ravaged. But like you said, Teddy Bridgewater will be under center. I expect Taysom Hill to play a lot more because yeah. we've already seen Sean Payton willing to take a Hall of Fame quarterback consistently out near the goal line. What's going to happen when Teddy Bridgewater uh, is potentially struggling out there? Because in Seattle, you know, far from an ideal first matchup for him. And the one thing to really keep an eye on, or two things to keep an eye on with uh, Teddy Bridgewater. One, he only one of his 30 passes last week traveled more than 20 yards in the air. When Breeze does that, I think it's okay. Defense is still giving the benefit of the doubt. It's Drew Breeze, and when yeah. he does throw downfield, it's good. But... I don't know if Teddy's going to get that. And if he's going to keep holding the ball and kind of struggling there, could see some issues. And the second thing, 
Look, Michael Thomas had 11 targets uh, once Teddy Bridgewater went under center. He's going to get his, but Alvin Kamara only had three. And I don't think Sean Payton's going to let Kamara not be involved or anything like that, but we got to lower the ceiling a little bit for Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I agree, and I, I wonder even how much Latavius Murray will be featured in if they're not even down the scoreboard or if it's neutral. Um, we're going to learn a lot about Teddy Bridgewater. We're going to learn a lot about Sean Payton, and we're going to learn a lot about Sean Payton's true feelings for Taysom Hill. Yep. Because it's easy to talk up Taysom Hill when you have Drew Brees at quarterback. And we've seen Sean Payton and heard Sean Payton talk up Taysom Hill to basically every single broadcast game broadcast that <laughs> we've watched the last, what, two seasons. Um, I believe last week Taysom Hill played 21 snaps. I wouldn't be surprised if he approaches 24, 30 snaps of maybe the 70 that the Saints run this week. Um, not just at quarterback, but as receiver, two quarterbacks in the field. But things do change when he's not your third quarterback in the depth chart, when he's your backup quarterback in the depth chart with a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater um, already suffering such a significant injury in his past. Yeah, and we did see in the preseason, especially this year, you know, what an offense with Taysom Hill as a regular quarterback looks like. And, hey, man, you got a guy with four or five speed back there. He can make some plays. I mean, it's at least an extra variable defense stuff to worry about because, you know, Bridgewater is not a mobile guy. And I think Sean Payton's going to want to – be a little selfish here and maybe create some packages and plays, if not an entire offense for Taysom Hill. Again, he was already pretty much doing that with yeah. Breeze under center. Yeah. So. All right, next quarterback injury that's impacting the rest of his team is it's Ben Roethlisberger missing the entire season. Uh, the 49ers, excuse me, the, the Steelers are at the 49ers this week. Um, look, Mason Rudolph steps in, and it's not just, hey, Mason Rudolph, go play exactly the same way that Ben Roethlisberger was, because I think the game switched a little bit. Like, the receivers were... Uh, not running different patterns, but they were creating more separation, I think, because Ben really just wanted his receivers to win in isolation. Uh, Mason Rudolph looked better than Ben Roethlisberger did once entering the game. What's your feel for this offense now that they face the 49ers? I mean, look, it's a, it's a downgrade. I don't think Rudolph's necessarily going to play better than Ben the rest of the season, but he did look good. And the target distribution was what was really interesting to me. Juju came away with five while Rudolph was under center. Vance McDonald got going again. He had five targets. Deontay Johnson, their rookie, had three, James Conner two. Ex-shower buddy James Washington only had one. So the interesting uh, thing we saw was Dante Moncrief has been completely phased out of the offense. He let yeah. a ball go right between his hands, hit him in the head, picked off, he's done. But Ryan Switzer also kind of got phased out. So the three wide receiver set we're looking at moving forward is Washington and Deontay Johnson on the outside with Juju in the slot, which, you know, I think in the preseason coming in, we always thought the best situation would be Juju uh, in that full-time slot role, and yeah. that's, what, that's what Rudolph's getting. Yeah, Juju hasn't really taken that next step this year like a lot of us expected him to, hoped that he would, obviously with the absence of Antonio Brown. You know, so much focus has been on James Washington. I wouldn't be surprised if Deontay Johnson's the one is, is the one who takes that next step forward. And I think it's a major vote of confidence in what the Steelers think of Mason Rudolph, who they previously took in the third round, when trading this year's first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, one, the team has been awful at evaluating the safety and cornerback defensive back position as a whole. Not first-round flops, but guys that haven't reached where their draft capital was. So getting a known commodity in Minka Fitzpatrick, but then there's a chance they go 8-8. Eight eight. There's a chance they go 6-10 and 10 with this new quarterback because they've already started 0-2. Again, vote of confidence to me in what they feel Mason Rudolph can do as that true backup quarterback, which the Steelers have been searching for for quite some time in Landry Jones and Josh Dobbs. And the, yeah, and they also traded away Josh Dobbs recently, too, showing even more confidence in Rudolph. It's just a tough spot this week. Though. We've seen the 49ers really take a step forward, particularly in the front seven. I mean, Nick Bosa 
already looking like a complete game breaker. And Quan Alexander, I mean, we saw the Bucks' run defense fall apart last year, and he's coming in. He's one of those true off-ball linebackers that does consistently make plays. The 49ers have really invested in that front. I mean, like three first-round picks along that front four. Um, and then in the off-ball linebackers part, you mentioned Quan Alexander. Fred Warner's a very good player as it's well. It's about time they're stepping it's about, up, right? It's about time it truly <laughs> is. Okay, another quarterback injury, Cam Newton, Carolina Panthers. Oh. Uh, they're traveling to Arizona this week in the 4 o'clock window. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've watched every single Cam Newton performance since entering the NFL. I stand up for Cam Newton in a lot of areas because a lot of people bash his overall play, and I think a lot of hindsight has been taking place since his poor performance against the Tampa Bay Bucks. But it, it's not the shoulder that's ailing him or hurt him during that game. It was a foot injury, I believe, that occurred after his ninth attempt. And after that, he only completed like 18 of like 49 attempts. Jeez. Yeah, it is the same. Uh, he re-aggravated the same left foot injury he was dealing with in the preseason. It has been as bad as it looked, though, this year it's at least. Bad. I mean, the only teams with a higher percentage of uncatchable targets this year are the Dolphins and the Bears than the Panthers. So, for that reason, I don't think we necessarily need to downgrade these skill position guys right now. Wow. McCaffrey has played 100% of the Panthers' snaps. You know, Norb Turner clearly has McCaffrey in, I think, more than one fantasy league at this point for him to be getting that much run. And DJ Moore, we've seen him, you know, with his kind of higher percentage slants and underneath targets. He's already been producing. He's going to keep doing that. And Curtis Samuel, I mean, he could have gone for 150-plus totally. last week against the Buccaneers with a few more accurate balls. And the Panthers did spend a third-round pick, uh, pick 100 overall in Will Greer. Meanwhile, Kyle Allen is the starter because Kyle Allen performed better in the preseason. And we've seen Kyle Allen. He came in and won a game in Week 17 last year. That's their last win since Week 10 wow. of uh, 2018. And Kyle Allen has no fear. He's unafraid. He'll throw vertical. I mean, he comes. He actually beat out Kyler Murray, who he's facing, <laughs> for the starting job in college. So it will be fascinating to see. And I, I, I kind of agree with your point that we might not downgrade these guys too much because I, I think Kyle Allen is willing to, instead of just check it down like a Luke Falk, like he actually will throw the ball downfield. The one guy I think that does get hurt is Greg Olson because I, I don't think Norb's going out of his way to feature him. I think that's more just Cam and his long time, uh, you know, chemistry together. All right, next is the Eagles receivers. More and more injuries. Again, this is the injury dashboard you can check out on rotoworld.com. Uh, Eagles facing the Detroit Lions. Uh, it was Monday night? What? No, they played on Sunday night. Sunday Excuse night. me. And Deshaun Jackson went down. Alshon Jeffrey went down. Uh, and especially Deshaun after his amazing week one performance. This thrust Mac Hollins back from the dead from two years ago. <laughs> this thrust rookie J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who hadn't practiced as a starter, into the starting lineup. These are some talented players so what do you think this is going to, how do you think this is going to impact the Eagles this week? The Eagles are so banged up, they literally canceled Wednesday practice, which I have Really? Yeah, I have not even heard of that happening before. Well, you're a young guy. <laughs> fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But yeah, man, so Alshon's dealing with this calf injury, Djax's dealing with an abdominal injury. Both are, should be considered doubtful from the reports we're hearing, and they got a quick Thursday night turnaround in week four, so mm. it's looking iffy there too. And the third injury we're about is Dallas Goddard, who number two Eagles tight end will be number one tight end on a lot of teams. He's got a calf injury. Seems a little more on the questionable side at least, but what to expect moving forward? We had Nelson Aguilar play 96% snaps last week. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was at 93%. Mac Hollins at 85%. So those are your three wide receivers, but Zach, this pass off is going through Zach Ertz. We 100%. saw him get 16 targets last week, and you know we all thought that there's no way he could reach that 155 <laughs> targets he did last year. From last year, well, when you take away your top two wide receivers and his only competition at tight end, uh, maybe he could. Yeah, I mean, I think Arcega Whiteside has the most ceiling, like the highest oh, yeah. ceiling of these guys. But 
I don't know if we can completely overlook, and I can't believe I'm saying this, <laughs> Nelson Aguilar. Because there was a vertical shot he missed last week. He might be the most dependable receiver, or the most trusted, even though he might not, he, he should not be probably. Um, but Zach Ertz will play 100% of the snaps, see a boatload of targets. We'll, I would be stunned if it's not more than 10 targets this week for Zach Ertz. I'm also uh, highest on uh, Ortega Whiteside just because of his contested catchability, showed in the preseason at Stanford. Sure. But, yeah, hats off to Aguilar, too. He missed that vertical shot, but then he came right back on that fourth and 10 ridiculous conversion and made a great catch downfield. So I'm with you there. He's going to have the targets at the very least. Chiefs running backs are also dealing with injuries. Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy, uh, they face a difficult defense in the Baltimore Ravens at home this week how are you looking at this chiefs running back situation with dare i say it darwin thompson waiting in the wings <laughs> yeah i mean i think look if they rush for 31 yards on 22 carries like they did last week again we're gonna see darwin maybe just get some reps out of pure ineffectiveness never mind the injuries but damian williams knee contusion it doesn't seem serious i you know we'll know more when the practice reports come out and that's why i want to tune in the injury dashboard but uh I'm expecting Damian Williams to play. Shady seems a little iffier. The MRI in his ankle came back negative, so it's not going to be an extended absence thing. But just from the way their beat reporters are kind of talking about it, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, he misses this game. But, yeah, if you're in deep league, get Darwin Thompson. I did last night. There you go. Even if you want to say hey, preseason doesn't matter, I don't care how he looked, look, the Chiefs' offense is the most fantasy-friendly unit in the league for exactly. running backs. So if one of these guys gets hurt, Darwin's going to walk right into, I think, a 40% snap roll. Yeah, I mean, we want exposure to the best offenses in the NFL. It's Arizona, it's Dallas, it's the Chiefs, it's a few others. Um, let me paint you a picture here, okay? Either we're about to see Damian Williams see like an 80% snap share in the Chiefs' backfield, or we see Darwin Thompson, and you talked about the ineffectiveness for the Chiefs running backs last week, come in, maybe see 40% of the work, and possibly look the best of them all. And this is how a rookie six-round pick earns more playing time. He already showed out in the preseason because of injuries ahead of him, taking advantage of your opportunity. He might do it this week, absolutely. It's definitely a question. You know, Dane could get that uh, full-time role. And I think at the very least, he's going to keep being used as a receiver. I mean, after after you hit that deep wheel route in the preseason, it's like they run that four or five times a I game agree. now. It's it's pretty hilarious. But I will give uh, the run game a little bit of slack because their left tackle, Eric Fisher, played, I think, two or three snaps last week before re-aggravating his groin injury. So they're also not the healthiest up front. Again, we're covering the injury dashboard, all the important injury news that you need to optimally set your lineup. Uh, let's close with your quick roundup, your quick hits of a few other notable injuries. Yeah, real quickly, Bill's running back Devin Singletary is day-to-day -day with a hamstring injury. Look for TJ Yeldon to replace him on pass downs with Gore on early downs if he ultimately misses time. Uh, Michael Gallup expecting to miss two to four weeks after undergoing arthroscopic surgery to repair a torn meniscus. Such a shame. Jason Garrett's already told us that Devin Smith will be getting more snaps in his place. Stug Colts linebacker Darius Leonard in a concussion protocol, along with Quan Alexander, you know, one of these few off-ball linebackers you should concern yourself with. Josh Jacobs, groin injury, really tough spot in Minnesota this week. Uh, Tyrell Williams has a hip pointer. He's expected to play through it. James Conner is confident he'll suit up Sunday despite a knee injury. And last but not least, Marcus Mariota uh, was on the injury report with a quad injury. He's already back to a full practice, and he'll be good to go Thursday night. Average stays. Average stays. <laughs> Time now to bring on the man who saves lives in his spare time so you can save your lineup this week. That is Nick Minzio. Nick writes the starts and sits column up on Rotoworld right now. Nick, let's start off with this Arizona Cardinals defense. You're very high on, I wouldn't even call him the second wide receiver on this team, but Christian Kirk in his second year. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's seen the 11th most targets among receivers through two weeks, but has yet to find the end zone. Was tackled at the one last week. Um, 
went over 100, went over 100 yards against the Ravens, but he's just the wide receiver 30 and half PPR. I think that's going to take a take a big big leap off the boards this week. I, I like this spot against Carolina. Both these teams are top six in offensive pace, uh, both top six in offensive plays run, and both bottom 10 in opponent plays per game. So I'm expecting them to shoot out here in the desert, and the Cardinals just need to get their red zone offense figured out. They're 31st in touchdown rate through two weeks in the red zone, scoring a touchdown just 25% of the time when they're inside the 20, kicking a lot of short field goals. Um, Kirk's racking up the air yards. That's always a, always a predictor for uh, fancy success. So I'm really big big on this spot for Kirk, and I love Larry Fitzgerald as well as a slot guy. Um, Buck's slot guy. Chris Godwin had a career, career game last week, eight catches, 121 yards, one touchdown against this Panthers defense. And Cooper Cup also caught seven balls on 10 targets against this Panthers defense on the slot in week one. So I love the spot for both Kirk and Fitzgerald. Yeah, Nick, I mean, I don't mean to criticize a person who's way smarter than I am, Cliff Kingsbury, but man, was he a wuss last week against the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens. Like they had three chances in fourth and one or fourth and goal situations from inside the five yard line and he elects to kick field goals. And it's absolutely mind numbing and mind boggling in a game where I believe they were 13 and a half point dogs to bypass those situations, those touchdown opportunities, and instead just kick field goals. When you want to run like 80 plays a game, like he has said. Um, Nick, I will say that, and I, I, to send this question back to you, Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald are both being used as slot receivers, aren't they? Because they're basically running more forward wide receiver sets than any other team in the league. Right, yeah, yeah. That's why I like both these guys on the inside against the Panthers defense. I mean, we've, we've seen slot guys go off, go off against this Carolina defense in, in two weeks in back-to-back weeks, both saw over 10 targets, um, talking about Chris Godwin and Cooper Cup. So I, th- I just think Fitzgerald and Kirk are just going to rack up targets, and, and it, they're bound to find, find the end zone here, here sooner, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you here, Nick. only thing I'll quickly add is, like, the Cardinals clearly want to get Kirk the ball. He's a punt returner. He gets mm-hmm. a rush attempt every other week or so. I mean, we haven't even seen some of the things he can do yet with the ball in his hands. So I, I think we're just, you know, at the tip of the iceberg with what he's going to produce this year. Nick, your next exactly. game your next game is, well, the next player is Miles Sanders, the rookie running back with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, in week one, I would say his play outperformed his production. I'm not so sure if that was the case in week two against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I'm sure some people are very nervous to start a player with that limited production like Miles Sanders. Why are you so confident this week? Yeah, like you said, last week they just didn't run the ball with any success. As a team, the Eagles averaged a, a pitiful 2.3 yards per carry. Um, Sanders actually led the team with his 28 rushing yards on 10 carries, beating out Jordan Howard's 18 rushing yards on eight carries. So they just didn't run the ball with any success last week. But I'm, I'm still hang, hanging my head on that week one where he – Got a couple looks from inside the five, was stuffed on back-to-back carries. Also had a 21-yard touchdown taken away. Um, the Lions have been shredded by running backs through two weeks. David Johnson went over 100 yards combined in week one. Austin Eckler did the same last week in Detroit. Both both scored touchdowns. Sanders doesn't get the workload that those two guys get involved in this three-man committee, but he's still playing 45.5% of the snaps. Better than Darren Strolls is 32.5 and Howard's 22.7% of the snaps. He's also ran more pass routes than Darren Sproles, 36 to 33. Howard's not involved in that part of the game. Um, I just think this is a good spot to just keep Ryan with Sanders. The Lions have been bad against the run. They're, they're six and a half point home favorites in Philly. The Eagles are. Um, they're really banged up at receiver. I just think this could be a game where they try to get Sanders going. And, and Philly's implied team total of 26.75 points is hmm. the fifth 
highest of week three. So I think everything sets up perfectly if Sanders really, if they really want to give Sanders the ball. The negated 21-yard touchdown in week one is even more infuriating because the NFL officials literally came out and said that it should not have been a holding call on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Nick, it does seem like the Eagles, I mean, they want Miles Sanders to take this role. And when we've seen David Montgomery, Daryl Henderson, these rookie running backs that everyone kind of gushed over just kind of getting put on the bench to start the season, Sanders has been starting from week one, and he has been the lead dog so far. It only seems like a matter of time until he takes his backfield over, right? Absolutely. I mean, you just got to stick with him as an RB2-3. I mean, He's been the RB54, I believe it is, in half PPR. That touchdown's coming, and he's getting the work right now. He's seeing the snaps, and you just got to keep riding him. Yeah, maybe even a trade target as well, and I think it's super impressive that they've been asked him, asking him to work as a pass protector as well and trusting him in that role. All right, we just yep. hit on the start, some, just a few of the notable ones in Nick starts his column. Let's now move to the sit side. Uh, one Patriots wide receiver, Josh Gordon. Uh, he kind of was the receiver that took the biggest back seat when Antonio Brown made his debut last week against the Dolphins, Nick? Yeah, uh, outside of his 20-yard touchdown on the Patriots' opening drive against the Steelers, uh, Gordon has just four catches for 72 scoreless yards and seven targets over the last seven-plus quarters. So not really seeing a lot of volume, but he, I, I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. He ran most of the stuff against Davian Howard, which is like the only good Dolphins player on the roster last week. Uh Came in at a lowly 17.9% of the targets share with Antonio Brown commanding 28% of the targets. Um, Julian Edelman was another big loser, seeing just four targets. This offense just has three legit number one receivers. They they use three running backs in their 21-22 point favorites over the Jets. I mean, I just don't see the need for Brady to fire off more than 20, 25, 30 passes in this game. I mean... If, if Gordon's only going to see 18% of the looks, that you're, you're banking on four to six targets really there. And the floor is just super low. As, as it's, it's, it's as low as the ceiling is high. So he's a boomer bust wide receiver three in the spot. He could easily go off, but the volume just isn't there for me to trust him in the, in the spot where the pitchers could just run the ball all day. I don't mean to throw like a what-if scenario at you, but I'm going to. Like hypothetically, you know, it seems like the, the Patriots are going to play Antonio Brown until the NFL tells them not to. What mm-hmm. if that does happen this week, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the caveat here. I mean, if, if Brown sits, I'm honestly way, way back in on Gordon because it, you're, you're just, it's Gordon and Edelman and then the three running backs, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm not expecting Philip Dorsett to have another huge game like he had in week one. Um, this Jets defense, we just saw him get obliterated by Odell Beckham on Monday night. Uh, they have no true shutdown corners. They benched Trumaine Johnson in that game, who's their highest paid, one of the highest paid corners in the league. Um, like you said, if, if Brown sits, I'm definitely way back in on Gordon. All right, let's close the segment out with Duke Johnson, who frustratingly, surprisingly, has been <laughs> playing, you know, <laughs> whatever Ian's face is right now, has been playing second fiddle to Carlos Hyde, who Nick, I mean, we've seen this before with Carlos Hyde, but he's looking decent as a starting running back. He's picking up yards as a starting running back. So Duke Johnson, where a lot of people started taking him around that running back 2022 area, now you're telling people to sit him here in week three. Yeah, he's, he's looking like a big running back to reach in summer drafts. I mean, after playing 64% of the snaps week one against the Saints, uh, Duke was in on just 36% of the snaps last week in that close 13-12 to 12 week two went over the Jaguars. Like you said, Carlos Hyde has been running the ball effectively. He was easily their best player on offense last week, had 20 carries, 90 yards. He, Hyde hasn't found the end zone yet, but Johnson – 
has also seen just one target over the last six quarters after seeing five in the first half against the Saints in week one. That one target should have been a 21-yard touchdown last week against the Jaguars, but him and Deshaun Watson weren't on the same page. Uh, Watson, like we know, has just never been a fan of targeting his running backs. And, I mean, that just hasn't really changed through two weeks uh, of this season. So it's hard to really trust him as, a, as an RB3 even in this spot. I mean, the Chargers have been crushed against the run, uh, going back to Marlon Mack in the opener, but they've been okay against running backs via the pass, surrendering just eight catches to the position. Um, that's the seventh fewest through two weeks. Um, I, I, it's just hard to get behind Johnson when when Coach Bill O'Brien is just has, has seemed to really fallen in love with Hyde as his early down runner. And then yeah, who wouldn't? Target, target. Who wouldn't fall in love with Carlos Hyde, right, Ian? He is running <laughs> so much better than we've ever seen. I mean, a full 1.7 yards over his career uh, yards per rush. I, th- I think what you said about the target volume is the most concerning he- thing here, though, Nick. Uh, as you said, Deshaun Watson doesn't like to check it down. And now, I mean, Kiki Kuti is healthy after we kind of thought mm-hmm. he might miss extended time in the preseason. And Kenny Stills is getting more run than I think anyone kind of anticipated. So unless we see a major shift in the snaps, I mean, du- Duke seems unstartable for the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. His floor is just insanely low right now. It really is, you know, not meshing with Deshaun Watson's style because while a lot of quarterbacks, when they feel disruption or hold the ball too long, want to just dump it off to their safety blanket, and that, that's usually the running back, Deshaun Watson would rather have that ball in his hands and <laughs> work to the left sideline and the right sideline and try to find someone further downfield. And so it really just doesn't mesh with Watson at all. Nick, thanks so much. You can check out Nick's full starts column up on Roto World right now. You can also check out Ian's injury dashboard. Um, again, major, major important news in that column. We'll be back here actually tomorrow with our preview show, our ranking show with Pat and Hayden and John Daigle. So for Josh, for Nick, for Ian, we'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.